0: You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. And Father in heaven, your name is worthy. You are worthy of all of our praise. And God, you have been so good to us. there's many people in this room who can attest to your your kindness. You're such a kind and loving Father. And God, you are worthy of all our praise. And when we think of what you have done for us in Jesus, Lord, on sending your Son to live and to die for our sins on the cross. God, you are worthy of all our praise. And we thank you, God, for the love that you have for us that has come through, I think, so clearly in this psalm that we have been in that you love us deeply i pray god that that would come through again or that we would we would walk away from here with a sense of your love and affection and care for us and god that that love would move us to live in such a way that honors you and brings you glory and reflects lord your heart so i pray for your help now as i open the bible lord to to teach your word to your people who you love so much. I pray that we would get a real sense of who you are and walk away with a great appreciation for you, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. You can have a seat. You can have a seat, and if you have a Bible, if you're not there already, you can turn to Psalm 103. We've been in this psalm for two weeks now. This is the third week, and it's the last message in the psalm. And this psalm anyway, and our ushers are coming forward with uh, Bibles. So if you need a Bible, they will give you one. All you got to do is put your hand up and they'll be happy to put a Bible in your hand. Maybe you forgot your Bible today. um, So just throw your hand up and they'll get one to you. So Psalm 103. Uh, John, John Feinberg said this about God. He says, God is absolutely sovereign, but he's not a remote and unrelated God. He instead is a king who cares. There is no one like God. He is a king who cares. There is no one like God. And what John Feinberg says, David has been saying to us. David has been saying to us that there is no one like God. And he has been saying it by the things that he has been telling us. All through this psalm, he has been telling us who God is and what God has done. To tell us that there's no one like God. And in these last few verses, he's going to tell us some more things about God. He's going to tell us some more things about God to make it abundantly clear to us that there's no one like our God. And so let's look at verse 15 in Psalm 103. It says this. It says, As for man, his days are like grass. obeying his voice, the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And you can uh, write this down, it's our first point. It's the the contrast between our life and God's love. David gives us a contrast between our life and God's love. Love, verse 15, he says, As for man, his days are like grass, and he flourishes like the flower of the field, for the wind passes over it and it's gone, and its place knows it no more. Now, grass is a is a common metaphor that the Bible uses to explain to us the brevity of life. Grass is a common metaphor that the Bible uses to explain to us the brevity of life. Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 says, a voice says, cry. And I said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass. And all its beauty like the flowers of the field. The grass withers, the flowers fades. When the breath of the Lord blows on it, surely the people are grass. See, life life is like that vacation that you've been waiting to go on for so long. And you're like, I can't wait for that week off. Or that two weeks off or the month off maybe. And then you get on that vacation and it goes so fast. And before you know it, you're back at that job. It goes like that. It's fast. And David uses flowers to, the the image of flowers to make uh, this point even more clear. He says flowers, they flourish. They flourish and they're beautiful when they come up. They're beautiful when they come up in, uh, in your garden, but then they quickly fade and die. And their wind blows it away, and then it's quickly forgotten. It's like those, those annuals that somebody plants in June. And they look beautiful in June. And they look beautiful in July if it's not too hot. And then by November, they're dead and gone. And by February, you don't even remember where you planted them. It's the same with human beings. We flourish, we flourish for a while and before you know it, we're gone. Our life is short. James chapter 4 verse 13, the brother of Jesus says this, he says come now you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He says you don't know what tomorrow will bring. He says what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. That's what makes, that's what makes every day so important. That's what makes every day that we get so important. That's why the, Psalm, uh, the psalmist in Psalm 90 uh, prays, he says, teach us to number our days that we would get a heart of wisdom. It's because life is short. And when we remember that life is short, we actually start to live with wisdom. We live wisely. We only get to go through life once. We only get to go through life once. And you and I do not know what is coming around the corner tomorrow. We don't know how many days God is going to give us. And so we shouldn't waste any of them. We don't know how many days we're going to get. So we shouldn't waste any of them. We should spend our days. We should spend today loving and serving God. And loving and serving the people that God has placed in our life. We don't know if tomorrow is going to come. And the brevity of life, the brevity of life is meant to to remind us, God is telling us, because it's meant to remind us of the fact that if we have not made things right with God for our sins, then today is the day to do it. Because tomorrow might not come and before you know it, before we know it, we'll be standing before the one who has created us, the one who has made us and we'll need to explain to him the way in which we've lived our life and the things that we say will either get us welcomed into God's presence or sent out of his presence for all eternity. Today is the day for us to make things right with God if we have not. To seek his forgiveness that he is willing to give us if we confess our sins to him. Now, David tells us our life is short to show us how different God's love is. He tells us life is short to show us and tell us how different God's love is. Look at verse 17. It says, but the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children. See, God love, God's love, David declares here, endures forever. It says it's from everlasting to everlasting. God's love for His children will never run out. God's love for His children will never run out. See, God's love is not like the Energizer battery. Remember that bunny? Remember that commercial? It's saying it keeps going and going and going and going and going. But we all know that that battery eventually will die. God's love is not like that. His love for His children keeps going. And going, and going, and going, and going, and going, it will never run out. Jeremiah 31 verse 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Now yes, God says this to the people of Israel first. He says to them, I've loved you with an everlasting love. But this is also what he says to us now who are in Christ. This is a promise to us that God has loved us and will love us with an everlasting love. Which actually should be very good news to us who are frail, weak, and dying. And David also says that this love can be experienced by those in the coming generation. David says that this love can be experienced by those in the coming generation. See, God will not only set his steadfast love on those who love and fear him now. He will also set that love on their children and their grandchildren. God will not only set his steadfast love on those who love and fear him now. He will also set it on their children and they're grandchildren. That's what David means when he says in verse uh, 17 there, and his righteousness to children's children. Now, when you read this, when you read this at first, it sounds like God's going to do this regardless of how those in the next generation live or act towards him. It sounds like he's going to do this regardless of how those in the next generation live live or act towards him, but verse 18 actually stops us from thinking like that. Verse 18 stops us from thinking like that. It says, uh, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The word keep and do here point to an active obedience taking place in the life of a person. God will set God will set his everlasting love on those in the next generation who love and obey him. On those in the next generation who love and obey him. Those who fear the Lord. Those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ for their salvation. And who, by the power of the Spirit, are seeking to do the things that God says. Those in the next generation who are doers of the word and not hearers only. And so the next generation can experience God's everlasting love, and we get to play a part in making that happen. We get to play a part in making that happen. We get to play a part in pointing the next generation towards Jesus Christ. See, even though our life is short, even though our life is short, and to to some people our life appears totally insignificant, We don't matter to them at all. Even though our life is short and appears insignificant, you and I can make a difference with our life. We can contribute to the well-being of the next generation. We get to play a part in leading them and pointing them towards faith in Jesus Christ. And parents, parents can do this by their prayerful parenting and grandparenting. Parents need to pray for the children that are in their life. They need to pray that God would save the the children in their life. Grandparents need to do the same, that God would save their grandchildren, that that the children in their life would be eager to know God's will, eager to know God's will and eager to follow and do what it says. Parents need to share the gospel. They need to share the gospel with their children every chance that they get. Parents need to be sharing the gospel with their children every chance they get Telling them the amazing things that God has done. If you're saved and you know the the amazing thing that God has done for you, why would you want to keep that from your children? Or any child for that matter. We need to be sharing the gospel with the children in our lives. Psalm 78 verse 4 says, Tell the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord. And his might. And the wonders that he has has done. We're supposed to tell the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord, and the most glorious thing that God has done for us is giving us Jesus. And we need to tell children the gospel, tell them all that God has done for them. Parents also need to welcome, parents need to welcome questions. Parents need to welcome questions that children have about God, There's some parents out there when their kids ask a question about God or ask a question about the Bible, they just kind of shut it down right away as if a child is not allowed to question something that they're confused by. You have to give kids a chance to work through and think through what we're saying to them and ask questions that are confusing about God and about the Bible. We need to welcome those questions, helping them think through the Word of God. We need to welcome their questions about confusing things in the world. Deuteronomy 6 talks about parents and children having this ongoing conversation as they walk through life together, talking to one another. And so parents need to create environments where they're facilitating questions that their kids can ask and figure out the Word of God, figure out, uh, uh, figure out God Himself, and try to, f- try to figure out the world. We need to welcome those Questions. A parents also need to model for their children what it means to be a godly woman and man. Parents need to model for their children what it means to be a godly woman and man. See, sons and daughters, sons and daughters learn what it means to be a woman, what a woman of God and a woman woman of man lives like by watching their parents. They learn what a, a woman of God and a man of God lives like and looks like by watching their parents. Parents, children learn how to pray and study the Bible by watching the way their parents pray and study the Bible when they see their moms and dads getting up in the morning or whenever the, your schedule sort of fits. It doesn't have to be at 5 a.m. Whenever the time works for you to open the Word of God and read it, they need to see us doing those things. They need to see us on our knees praying, asking God for help as we try to desperately figure out life in a confusing world. And as they see us doing those things, they will realize that, that is, those things are the things that they should be doing also, that it's right to open the Word of God and pray to God. Teenagers and young adults learn how to forgive and repent and reconcile with others as they watch their parents forgiving people, repenting of sin that they're committing, and reconciling with people in their life. We get to model for children what it looks like to follow God. And modeling is massively important for the next generation. Children watch. They watch their parents. And as a church... As a church, we need to come alongside these parents and grandparents by serving them and their children, by giving our time, by serving in the children's ministry, by serving in Awana, by serving in the youth group, by doing these things, giving our time. These are all places where we get an opportunity to tell, tell the coming generations the glorious deeds of the Lord and pray, pray that they will respond in faith As we do this, God is entrusted. He's entrusted the next generation to us. And we, we as a church and as parents need to be good stewards of what God has given us. Because they too, they too can experience God's everlasting love. And this is a love, this is a love that Romans 8 tells us nothing can separate us from. It's a love that Romans 8 tells us nothing can separate us from. Romans eight thirty one says, What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death." Depth. Nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and Christ Jesus our Lord. God's love is an everlasting love. And his love and commitment is towards those who fear him. And nothing can separate us from that love. This is the everlasting love that we received when we placed our faith in Jesus Christ. We received this, and this is the everlasting love that the next generation needs. This is the everlasting love we received, and that is the love that they need. It's true. It's true that our life is short. It's true that our life is short, and when it comes to an end, when it comes to an end, every single person in this room who is trusting in Jesus Christ Every person who's trusting in Jesus, when their life ends, they will enter into his everlasting love. That is the hope that we get to live with. Let's do our part. Let's do our part to make sure that the next generation gets to live with that same hope. Let's pour ourselves out for the next generation. They can experience his everlasting. Lasting love, believing that as we do our part, that God will be faithful, will be faithful to do His part. So David shows us how different life is from God's love. He shows us that life is short, but God's love is everlasting. And uh, here's point number two: the call to all creation to praise God. The call to all creation, to praise God. David gives us a contrast, and now he gives us a call. He gives us a contrast, and now he gives us a call. Verse 19, says, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. That word established is meant to tell us that God's throne is fixed in heaven, that it's immovable. And that he is on his throne. God's not on his throne in heaven warming the seat for somebody else. He's not just warming it for somebody else to come along. He's on it ruling. It's his throne. And David tells us that this kingdom rules over all. God's kingdom rules over all. See, there's no kingdom above God's kingdom. There's no kingdom like God's kingdom. This is a kingdom also that anyone can enter into through faith in Jesus Christ. This is a kingdom that anyone can enter into if they place their faith in Jesus Christ. In Mark 1, verse 14, it says, After John was arrested, Jesus came proclaiming the gospel and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. When we repent, when we believe in what God, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, when we trust in that fact that he has died for our sins and place our faith in him, we enter into God's kingdom. There's no kingdom like his kingdom, and there's no kingdom more valuable than God's kingdom. There's no kingdom more valuable than God's kingdom. Matthew 13 says, The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of a fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. See, the man and the merchant, the man and the merchant saw the value of God's kingdom. They saw that there was no kingdom more valuable than his kingdom, and they sold everything. They gave up everything. They stopped trying to build their own kingdom and invested in God's kingdom. And you and I need to do the same. We need to see the value of God's kingdom, and we need to stop trying to build our own little kingdoms here on earth, and invest ourselves into the kingdom of God. Because God's kingdom is the most valuable kingdom. And God's kingdom is the only kingdom that is going to last. So it's a waste of time trying to build our own little kingdom here on earth. Uh, the word rules. The word rules points to God's providence. The word rules points to God's providence. Uh, there's, not a, uh, there's not a single person, place, or thing that is not under God's rule. There's not a single person, place, or thing that is not under God's rule. God looks at all creation and he says, mine. Every part of creation is under his control. He is governing all things. He is ruling things by his providence. Jerry Bridges explains the doctrine of providence this way. It says, Providence is God's constant care for and his absolute rule over all creation for his own glory and the good of his people. Providence is God's constant care for and his absolute rule over all creation for his own glory and the good of his people. See, the doctrine of providence is meant to encourage us in our struggles and suffering. It's meant to encourage us in our struggles and suffering because it tells us that the world is not out of God's control. It reminds us that things are not out of God's control. See, God is not on his throne being surprised by things. He's not like, oh, didn't see that coming. It's not like that. God is never surprised by anything. We are surprised all the time. We get surprised all the time. We're surprised when somebody gives us an unexpected gift. They bring us something. We're just not expecting them to, we're like, oh, thank you. We're surprised by that. We're surprised when the doctor says, you're having twins. We're surprised all the time. We're surprised by answer to prayer. We're surprised. We're surprised by loud lightning and thunder. If some lightning and thunder went off right now, a bunch of people would just jump. We're surprised all the time. We get caught off guard all the time. God never gets caught off guard. Nothing surprises God. Everything is under his providential control. He's directing all things. And even though, even though we don't understand, understand what he's doing sometimes, Even though we don't understand what is happening sometimes, there's lots of things that are going on in the world right now that are even going on in my own life, and I honestly do not know why God is allowing it to happen, why God is doing it, but I do know that if God wasn't in control, it would be way more terrifying to live life here on earth. If God isn't providentially controlling things, even the confusing and painful things, if God is not in control of that, that means there's somebody or something out there way worse than God. And that's scary. And so the doctrine of providence is meant to encourage us, to help us in our suffering. It reminds us that God is working everything Everything, even the confusing and painful things in our life, for our good and His glory. The truth, the truth that our God, the one, the one who has everlasting love for us, is ruling the world, is meant to comfort us. The one who has everlasting love for us, that truth is meant to comfort us the fact that he is ruling the world and give us peace and hope it's meant to comfort us and give us peace in our hearts and hope and hope even though we don't understand what's happening at times trusting him fully david says his kingdom rules over all and we need to trust him with our lives because god is wise he is wise. He knows what he is doing with your life. And because he loves us deeply, because God loves us deeply, he is working everything for our good. And it's because of who God is and the uniqueness of God's kingdom why David says what he says next. It's because of the uniqueness of God's kingdom and who he is why David says what he says Next, look at verse 20. It says, Bless the Lord, O you, his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. And David here calls on angels now. He calls on angels to bless the Lord. And he describes them for us in a, in a few different ways. He calls them hosts. He calls them hosts, and he does that because there's thousands and thousands and thousands of angels. And then he calls them ministers, and he calls them ministers because their role is to serve. Angels, their role is to serve. Hebrews 1 verse 14 says they are ministering spirits sent to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation. They serve us. And then he says that they do God's word, that they obey God's voice. See, these supernatural beings, these supernatural beings surround God's throne all day, every day, every moment of the day, praising God, ready to do anything that God tells them to do. They obey his voice. They do his word. And one of the things that God tells them to do is to bring us messages. One of the things God tells angels to do is to bring us messages. And as God's messengers, they bring us some very good news. As God's messengers, they bring us amazing news. Luke, Luke 2, verse 9 says, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, nothing to be afraid of. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Angels announce the birth of Jesus Christ, the Savior, that we need for our sins. Matthew 28, 1-6, to says, Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came down and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Then the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. Nothing to be afraid of. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. They announced the birth of Jesus for our sins. Then they announced the fact that Jesus has resurrected, which tells us that death had been defeated and that the punishment, the payment for sin, had been made. Acts 1 says, And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who, you, who was taken up from, hev- from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. They tell us that Jesus has been born, the savior that we need. They tell us that Jesus has been resurrected to say that our sins have been paid for. And they tell us that there's a day coming that Jesus is coming back for every single one of us who are trusting in him. And that is meant to give us hope. It's meant to encourage our hearts. The messengers of God bring amazing news. God in his everlasting love for us moves, his love for us moves him to send them to us to tell us the news that we desperately need to hear. And David calls on angels to praise the Lord and then he calls on the rest of creation to do the same. Verse 22 It says, bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. David goes from the universal to the individual. He calls on every aspect of creation to praise God. Basically, he's saying here, whoever and whatever can express praise to God needs to do it. And it's because God has dominion in all places. Because he's a wise and loving ruler. A great king who cares. A great king who cares. A great king that we can trust. See, David started the psalm by talking to himself. He started the psalm by talking to himself. And he ends the psalm by talking to himself. But not before he calls all creation to join him in praising the Lord. And he does this. Because of who God is and what God has done. Because God is merciful and gracious. He doesn't give us what we deserve. Because God has a father's compassion. That he treats us with gentleness and love. That he's not angry with us forever. Because God's love is everlasting. That he will never stop loving us right into eternity. God's going to love us Forever And because God rules over all creation, the true king who we can trust. David in this psalm has been painting a picture for us. He's been painting a picture of God for us so that we would say, like John Feinberg says, there is no one like God. That we would say that there is no one like God our God, that there's no one like him. And because this is true, which Psalm 103 makes so clear, it is so true that there's no one like God. It's right that all creation, all creation should praise his name. And we are going to get a chance to do that right now. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.